The scripture reading this morning will be Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 20. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. You receive invitations all the time. How do you decide whether or not to accept an invitation? Scripture is filled with heartfelt invitations from God to you. He invites those who are exhausted, curious, searching, or in need to find what we need most in Him. Will you accept the invitation? Scripture is filled with invitations, appeals, God reaching out to you where you are and saying, let's go this way, come with me. Be a part of what I'm doing in this world. Be a part of my kingdom. Live according to the values of the kingdom of God rather than the values of the world. There are so many invitations embedded throughout Scripture. And every single one of those appeals, every single one of those invitations represents a decision point for you and for me, for all of us. If you think about it, life is filled with intersections, isn't it? With those roads diverging in the woods, and you find a place where you have to make a choice. Do I go this way or do I go that way? And it's true as you think about the decisions you have made and the decisions you make right now and the decisions you will make, that those decisions inform the direction of your life, the course of your life. But not just that. In many ways, they dictate the destination. Because if you choose this path, it takes you that way. If you choose this path, it not only takes you that way, but it heads to a different place than this path. And I don't know about you, but have you ever stopped to think about the decisions you've made in life and how your life would be different had you made other decisions? Have you ever thought about that? We were talking about this the other day. You know, if you had gone to college somewhere else, or if you had gone to college, or if you didn't go to college, or if you had majored in this rather than that, or maybe if you had said yes to a job opportunity that you turned down. Or maybe turned down a job opportunity that you said yes to. If you married this person or you didn't marry that person. If you decided to move or not move. There's so many decisions we make all the time and every one of those decisions begins to stack upon the others and dictate where we go in life and where we end up in life. That's just the nature of life. It's the nature of making decisions. Some of you, you probably don't even like to think about that because it puts a lot of weight, a lot of pressure on you, doesn't it? I gotta make the right decision because so much is on the line. I mean, someone asks you, let's go get something to eat, where do you wanna go? You don't even have an opinion. You don't even know how to answer that question, much less think about life-altering decisions. And yet it's so important for us to realize that our decisions in many ways do dictate not only the direction, but the destination. And ultimately, as we're talking about our lives, our destinies. And I don't think we can remove God's will. We can't factor out God and what God wants in this world and in our lives. But even within our wills, or even within his will, he gives us some latitude, doesn't he? He gives us some, some freedom to choose. You get to choose. If God wants you to be somewhere or to do something, he will make it very clear. But God gives us a lot of freedom of choice. 
And so what do you choose? What decisions do you make? I think it's especially important for us to realize that we have self-agency, that we do make decisions that impact our lives, not only our lives here, but life after here. It's an important thing for us to understand. So that's why I'm glad that you're here to hear this message today. It's something we all need to hear because there is one decision, there is one invitation that will forever change the course of your life and your eternity. One invitation that doesn't just set the tone for your life, it doesn't just even show the direction of your life, it will in many ways determine your destination, your destiny in this life and beyond. It's the same decision that a group of common fishermen had to make 2,000 years ago. And I think it's no exaggeration to say that their choice that day and the days after that day forever changed their lives, but not just their lives, it forever changed the world. When they came to that intersection, when they came to that decision point, what they chose had such an impact on their lives and on your life. Let's look at that story. We read Matthew's account just a moment ago from Matthew chapter 4. Now let's look at Mark's account. It's very similar. Mark chapter 1, if you have a Bible and you want to follow along, Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 16. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. So one day, Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, just walking along the beach, and he sees Peter and Andrew and James and John, and they're fishing, or they had just fished, and they're working on their nets, and they're there with their boats, and Jesus extends this very simple yet life-changing invitation come follow me that's it come and follow me I'm so glad that our adult Bible classes are studying the call narratives right now because I think we have so much to learn about how God calls us by looking at how and why and to what he called men and women throughout history we can learn what it means to be called by God. It's such an important study, and I hope that you're engaged in that study in your Bible class if you're not teaching another class or in some other, uh, involved in some other way. That study, when God calls, is very scriptural, very biblical study, but it's also guided by a book by Dr. Glenn Pemberton called When God Calls. And I remember several years ago when Pemberton was out at OC, I was a part of a very small group in a class with him. And it was about this material. He was sort of putting this material together. He was writing the manuscript. He was working through it himself. And he was sharing it with some of us. And I was fascinated by these call narratives. And I remember one of the things he told us is there is a formula. There is a formula in ancient literature that is used for call narratives, for commissioning. And you can see this formula throughout Scripture. And in this formula, there are different elements. It usually begins with some type of crisis. 
there's something going on in the world. There's something going on in that community or in that context. There's a need. That's why God is calling someone. So there is some type of crisis. And then there is the initial commissioning or the calling. It is the voice in the burning bush talking to Moses. It is saying, lead my people out of Egypt. There is that commissioning. And it is usually followed by some type of complaint, some resistance, some objection by the one being called. And then that's soon followed by some visible sign that is confirming that God is God and that he is issuing this call. And then there are a couple of other elements. And one of the things that was said is when you look at these different call narratives, if there is an element missing, if you can't really find it in the narrative, then that is like the inspired author shining a spotlight on that part of the story. That's where you should focus. Did you notice when Jesus calls these fishermen to follow him? We don't read of any resistance, do we? There is no complaint. There is no, well, let me go do something first. There is no defiance like Jonah. There are no excuses like Moses. There are no objections like we often offer God when he calls us to do something, especially something difficult, something that demands something of us. They simply follow Jesus. Not only that, they seemingly drop everything in that moment to follow Jesus. When you read Matthew and Mark's accounts of this story, it's almost like Jesus hypnotizes them, doesn't it? Doesn't it feel that way a little bit? Come follow me. It's like he uses a force on them. And they drop their nets and extend their arms and they just follow him. That's what it feels like when you read that text. Did you notice they immediately left him? Look at the different examples and the different terms used. I think the NIV uses the term at once. Matthew also includes the same terminology. Look at that, at once, without delay, at once, immediately. They dropped everything in that moment. Why would they do that? Well, I think there's more to the story. There's more happening here. This was likely their not their first encounter with Jesus. It sort of reads that way, but I don't think it was. When you look at John's gospel, in John chapter one, you see that Andrew, Peter's brother, and probably his fishing partner, is also mentioned as one of John the Baptist's disciples. And one day, John the Baptist introduces Andrew to Jesus. He says, behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, and Andrew is thinking, oh, wait, is this the Messiah? Is this the one we've been waiting on? And John the Baptist is going, yes, it is. That's what I'm telling you. And so Andrew meets Jesus. And the text says that he spends the day with him. And he's so excited that he does what? He goes and he gets his brother, Peter. He says, you've got to meet this guy. I think he's the one. I think it's the Messiah. Come and meet Jesus. And so Peter goes and he meets Jesus. And that's when Jesus gives Peter the name of Rock or Cephas. And so see, there is, there's an earlier encounter. And also, if you look at Matthew's account and Mark's account as the brief version of Luke's account in Luke chapter 5, so maybe Mark and Matthew have the, uh, you know, the Cliff Notes version, and you look at Luke's account in Luke chapter 5, you see that there's more to the story there. These fishermen heard Jesus preach. The crowds are gathered. Jesus gets in one of the boats on the beach there and he begins to preach. And so they hear him speak with authority and then they go fishing with Jesus. And if you're familiar with the story, you know that's when Jesus says, hey, cast your nets over here. And they go, okay. And they 
put their nets out there and they bring in this huge haul of fish. The boat begins to sink. There's so much fish. Then that's when Jesus, or that's when Peter falls on his knees at Jesus and he says, go away from me. I'm a sinful man. Recognizing that Jesus is not ordinary. Jesus is not a common person. That he is, in fact, from God. And so you have some history there. The disciples on that day, when Jesus said, come follow me, they didn't just drop everything and blindly follow Jesus. Now, I don't think necessarily in that moment that they, that they knew exactly all that that entailed. They didn't know all the implications of following Jesus with their lives. But there was history there. There was a prior relationship there. There was an encounter there. And the same thing is true for us. You see, the disciples, they heard something. They saw something so compelling in Jesus that they just immediately left everything behind to follow him. We, when we receive that invitation to come and follow Jesus, we don't just blindly follow Jesus. We first encounter Jesus. And once you see who he is, and once you get a glimpse of his heart, and you understand what he's all about all the incredible things that he has done, then you want to follow him anywhere. You see, the encounter with Jesus puts you at that intersection, at those diverging paths in the woods, and you have to choose. You have to at least make a choice. Here is this, this man that is more than a man, that is the son of God, that appears to be the son of God, that has done things that no one else has ever done, that actually was killed, but was raised back to life, what am I going to do with that? Am I going to ignore that? Am I going to dismiss that? Or am I going to recognize that he is from God and I'm going to surrender my life to him? You see, that's two very different choices, but it takes an encounter. And that's why I think it's so important that we tell people who Jesus is. Parents, talk to your kids about Jesus. Yes, talk to them about doctrine and theology. And do that with your friends and people you're trying to bring to Christ. But so often we lead with those things. Okay, here's what you can do. Here's what you can't do. Okay, don't you want to come be a part of us? Wait a second. Let me just introduce you to Jesus. Let's start there. You need to see this guy. You need to see this one that God sent. The word became flesh, made his dwelling among us. The one who lived perfectly, knowing that he would die because you weren't perfect and I am not perfect. Get to know him, see his heart, see what he was all about. All that other stuff, that's important. It's really important. But we don't lead with that. We lead with an encounter with Jesus. So when Jesus extends that invitation, we have a decision to make, don't we? Come follow me. To accept that invitation brings two things into focus. Two very important things. What is behind you, and what is in front of you? You see, when you say yes to following Jesus, that often means leaving something behind, leaving an old life behind. It means giving some things up, like worldly dreams and ambitions and pleasures. It means repurposing and redeeming your vocation, possibly. Maybe it means changing your vocation. It means reevaluating some values and goals. It may mean severing ties with anyone or anything that stifles genuine discipleship. And it's not always leaving behind, bad, leaving behind bad things. It's not always 
moving away from sinful things. Many times it is. But sometimes it's just the things that we know, the things that are familiar, the things that bring us comfort, the things in which we find our identity and we have for a long, long time. And now Jesus suddenly says, no, you find your identity in me and we have to decide, do I define myself by this, what I do, what I am, what I have, or do I define myself as an image bearer of God, as a son or daughter of the king, as a follower and disciple of Christ, taking up my cross and following him. You see, you have to consider what is behind you and what is in front of you. Maybe Jesus is asking you to give up something like your comfort zone. Did you notice in the text how these fishermen, these common guys, they willingly left everything behind to follow Jesus? They just leave it all behind. And for some of you, that sounds like an exciting adventure. Okay, let me, let me get this straight. Stay on the fishing boat, physical labor, it smells bad, it's hard work, or this life of adventure, this life of travel. Sign me up for that. But others of you, you know this. This is familiar. This is comfortable. This is what you know. This is who you are. And giving that up to, to enter into the unknown? No, thank you. And yet, look at that. Look at all the different examples. They left their nets. In other words, they left their vocation, their job, the very thing that put food on the table. They willingly left that behind. They left their father, Zebedee. They left their family, those who support them, those who have their back, those who love them and those that they love. Matthew tells us they left their boat and their father. You see, it was more than just physical possessions. It was more than just a job. It was more than just family. This was probably a family business that had been passed down for generations. The expectations were that, yes, you're going to be a fisherman. That's what your father did. That's what your grandfather did. That's what your kids will do. That's what we do. And they dropped everything, and they left everything that's exactly what Peter would say later, much later to Jesus in Matthew chapter 19, verse 27. Do you remember he said, we've left everything to follow you. We've left it all. And so as Jesus extends that invitation to you, come and follow me, what is he asking you to leave behind? What is it? Is it a relationship? Is it a lifestyle? Is it a worldly dream or pursuit or pleasure? Is it a set of goals and dreams? This is what I always thought my life would be. This is what I always thought I would do, what I would have. Is it a career, a job, certain family ties? Is it the love of money, an addiction? Is it a dependence on anything or anyone other than Jesus? Or is it simply everything that makes you comfortable or maybe the thing that makes you most comfortable what is he asking you to leave behind and here's the more difficult question I think not not what is he asking you to leave behind because in our most honest moments I think many of us can answer that question we might not announce it but we know in the heart of hearts here's the more difficult question are you willing if there's something that is standing in the way of genuine discipleship, of you following Jesus step by step, are you willing to leave it behind? A few weeks ago, we 
decided to clean out our closets. You have to be pretty bored to decide to clean out your closets, don't you? I mean, that has to be right there on the list, right above cleaning out the gutters, I think, which I hate to do. But we had it on our list of things to do. We've been putting it off and dreading it, and finally we said, okay, today we're going to do it. Let's go clean in our closets. And so we walk in there, and if you've ever done it, you know how overwhelming it is. You just start looking around like, okay, what can I get rid of? And I don't know about you, but for some reason, it's hard for me to get rid of clothes. And so, you know, I'm looking at shirts that I have literally had for 25 years. I'm not, that's not an exaggeration. I see old pictures of me sometimes when I was in my 20s and 30s. I'm like, oh, I still have that shirt. I wore that last Thursday. <laughs> it's hard to get rid of those shirts. I have some shoes that still have a lot of tread on them. Why would you get rid of those? You know, I have some suits and some sport coats that were in style, and then they went out of style, and I'm thinking, they'll come back. Just hang on to them. I have some threadbare t-shirts from my youth ministry days, you know, with different logos of camps and things. I'm like, I have good memories of those. I can't get rid of those. And then I came to my ties. I'm like, yep, out, 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 out. (laughs) Let's get rid of all those. (laughs) Just kidding, partially. (laughs) But we ended up bagging up like three or four huge trash bags of clothes to donate and two or three other bags to throw away. And so we finally went through our closets. But I got to tell you, that was difficult. I think sometimes in our lives, that's how we approach the things that, that we cling on to. There are so many things that are difficult for us to let go of because we find our identity in those things. And sometimes, like I said, they're not necessarily sinful or bad, but they get in the way. They distract us. We find our identity, our comfort, our security in those things. And I wonder how tightly we hang on to those things. And Jesus is saying, come follow me. Well, Jesus, I'm I'm going to. I want to, but I'm going to have to pack. I mean, we're going to need a couple of U-Hauls, okay, to take all this. No, he's, come with me. Just you, come on. Okay, but (laughs) you don't understand, Jesus. I've had this stuff for a long time. People know me by this stuff. I have social status with this stuff. He says, just come follow me. What's he asking you to leave behind? One day a wealthy man, which in his day and time also meant that he had status and was probably well known, approached Jesus. And he said, Jesus, I have a question for you. What must I do to inherit eternal life? His question reveals his heart already. What must I do? How can I earn a good place in God's kingdom? What steps do I need to take? Give me the checklist, Jesus. What can I do to be included in the kingdom of God and what he's doing in this world? Well, Jesus knows this man's heart. And so he goes along with the question. And Jesus says, keep the commandments. Well, that wasn't good enough for this guy. Jesus, what commandments? And it wasn't uncommon for different groups of of Jewish leaders and Jewish people to debate and argue which laws and regulations were the most important, which ones were at the top of the list. And so maybe that is behind his question, or maybe he just wants to validate himself. And so Jesus continues down this line of thinking and rattles off some of the Ten Commandments. And this man interrupts him and says, check, check, check. Okay, what else? What else can I do? I want to know the entrance requirements for God's kingdom, so just lay them out for me. I want to make sure that I check every single 
box. And then Jesus gets to the heart of the matter, which is this man's heart. And what does Jesus say in Matthew 19, verse 21? If you want to be perfect, that word means complete. Not if you want to show everybody that you never sin and you're morally perfect. If you want to be complete, go, sell your possessions, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then, come follow me. You see, there's the invitation right there. Come follow me. But remember, this invitation calls into question at least two things, what is behind you and what is in front of you. And Jesus told this man, if you're going to go forward with me first, you have to leave some things behind, namely your wealth. Now, throughout the Gospels, we don't see Jesus necessarily asking everybody he meets or everybody he encounters to sell all their possessions. But Jesus knew this man's heart, and he knew that his possessions, his wealth, and probably the status that came with that, those things were obstacles to genuine discipleship, to truly following Jesus. And unfortunately, when Jesus puts it that way, and this man finds himself at that fork in the road, at that intersection, what does he do? Remember what we said? Your decisions determine the direction of your life, but not just the direction, the destination, the destiny. And this man, the text says, went away sad because he had great wealth. He said, I can't go there with you, Jesus. I can't let go of all of this to go there with you. He made his decision. When Jesus says to you, follow me, what is he asking you to leave behind? But besides what is behind you, you must also consider what is in front of you. Where does the road of discipleship take you? If you accept Jesus' invitation to follow him, what does that mean? Where does that path lead you? In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus calls it the narrow way. He calls it the narrow way because few choose it because it demands something of us, usually sacrifice, usually denying self, usually moving away from the things of the world and the mindset of the world and living according to the values of the kingdom. And that's not popular, and that's not always fun. And so it is, in many respects, the narrow way. But not only does it mean we have to leave behind comfort, it means sometimes we have to plunge headfirst into discomfort. One of these fishermen, who Jesus called that day, James, we later read, it wasn't long after this, it wasn't long. In Acts 12, we read that James is killed by the sword of Herod. Now, if James had known that day on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, when Jesus said, come and follow me, if he had known in a few years that he was going to die by sword, do you think he would have made the same choice? I mean, he could have said, you know what? I can be on a boat, throwing the net over the water. Peaceful life, quiet life, doing my thing. That sounds much better than dying by a sword. And yet, of course, he didn't know that was going to happen. But that is the nature of discipleship, isn't it? The call to follow Jesus is the call, the invitation to lose your life. And we're going to talk more about that later an entire sermon in this series about that invitation to lose your life. And so today, I really want to focus, as we think about what's in front of us, 
on the mission, on the mission Jesus gives them and gives us. Do you remember what Jesus said to these fishermen? Back in Mark chapter 1, verse 17, come follow me and I will what? I will make you, I will send you, I will equip you, I will empower you to be fishers of people. That's such an interesting way to word that, isn't it? I wonder when they heard Jesus say that, if they kind of grinned at each other like, oh, that's funny. What does that mean? <laughs> what do you mean we're going to fish for people? We know how to fish for fish. We don't know how to fish for people. And Jesus is talking about something much deeper there. He's talking about a repurposing of their purpose, of their mission. You see, he was casting a new vision, pun intended, a new vision for their lives. No longer would they work for and their efforts be poured into providing a physical harvest. Now, by the power of the Spirit working in them and through them, they would work toward a spiritual harvest. They would draw people to Jesus. They would announce the coming of the kingdom of God in and through Jesus. They would tell the world that God's time to redeem the world was at hand. They would advance the kingdom of God. That same destiny it awaits anyone and everyone who accepts Jesus' call to follow him. We are called, like they were, to be fishers of people, to make disciples. No matter what our job is, no matter what our role in the family, no matter our age, our stage in life, our education, our training, we are all called to be fishers of people, to make much of the one we follow. Jesus had a lot to say about that. It's particularly fitting today on Commission Sunday as we focus on what God is doing to accomplish his mission through us, his mission becoming our mission. It's a good time for us as individuals, as families, as a congregation to reevaluate the direction of our lives, to reevaluate our mission, not only to say what is Jesus asking us or me to leave behind, but where is he leading us? Where is he taking us? What is our purpose? And so I thought it would be good for us to again watch the video we showed last week, reminding us that there is a harvest, that the fields of the world are ripe for the harvest. But Jesus says he needs the workers. Let's watch this video. Look around you. There is so much work to do. This world is in no condition for us to simply sit back and watch. There is a desperate, tangible need for Jesus. A glimpse of hope in the midst of hopelessness. Jesus experienced this. He saw it firsthand. The need broke his heart and filled him with compassion. He turned to his disciples and said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. This alone should stir our hearts. It's a calling, an invitation to make a difference, to share the truth of the gospel, to be a light in the darkness, to be the church. It's time for us to look outward, to turn our focus to the field, to answer the call and passionately share the love of Jesus. This is our mandate 
This is our mission. Jesus invites us. Jesus calls us. Are you ready to do the work? I hope that you will personalize that invitation. It's easy to hear the Great Commission. It's easy to watch a video like that and think, well, that's good for other people to do. The question is, what can you do? What can God do through you? God is working through many missionaries that we have. I am so thankful for them. Let's put their names up on the screen. I hope I, we have so many it's hard to read from where you're seated because we had to make the font so small. That is a wonderful problem to have. That's not a problem at all. On Commission Sunday, it seems incredibly appropriate that we at least put the names of our missionaries in front of the congregation for you to pray about and for you to lift up to God. When we came here several years ago, many years ago, we only had a handful of missionaries. God has done amazing things through our mission efforts here, and he continues to do amazing things. These men and women are out in the trenches, out on the front lines, fishing for people, if you will, making disciples, leaving an imprint of Jesus on the hearts of people, communities, families, and we get to be a part of that. God is using us and our resources and our prayers and sometimes us directly as we, again, begin to go into the world, into the mission field on mission trips. He's using us to make a difference in this world. And so what is God calling you to do? The harvest truly is plentiful. There is much work to do. And I hope that you will personalize that invitation, that calling, not just to follow Jesus, but to go where he leads you, a place of sacrifice, a place of commitment, a place of being a part of making disciples in this world. If you haven't given yet for Commission Sunday, I hope that you'll do that. Obviously, we have a number of ways that you can give. You can take out your phone right now and use that QR code. Whatever you need to do, whatever's most convenient for you. But we want everyone to be a part. No matter what you give, we want everyone. That's why we drag the wagon out here for our children. We want them to be a part of it. If they give, you know, 37 cents, that's great. That's fine. Because those 37 cents will be used in this world to share the gospel. And we praise God for that. Will you give sacrificially so God will continue to use our mission efforts and our missionaries and our mission projects and our mission camps and benevolence acts throughout this world to bring people to Christ. Let's pause and let's pray over not just this offering, but our mission efforts and our missionaries as well. Father God, we praise your name because you see us as important enough, valuable enough to call into your service as your ambassadors. Father, thank you for sending Jesus to call us not just to follow him, but to fish for people, for giving us purpose and meaning in life. No matter what we do for jobs, no matter what our role in the home, Father, you give us a purpose to be disciples who make disciples. It is such a joy to live with purpose, a purpose that matters, a purpose that is bigger than us. Father, help us to stay focused on that purpose, on that mission. Father, I want to raise up our missionaries to you, the men and women out on the front lines. It is so easy for them to get discouraged. It is so easy for them to not have the physical things that they need and want. It is so easy for the Satan to put obstacles in front of them because they are on the front lines. 
Father, I pray that you would give them peace and strength, that your spirit would lead them and guide them, that they would feel a renewed sense of purpose even today, Father, that they would know that we support them, that we are with them, that we are together. And Father, I pray for every penny, every dollar given today, last week, this week, as a part of Commission Sunday. Father, what a joy, what an opportunity we have to be a part of what you're doing in this world. May you use those funds to make a real difference in this world, to bring peace to this world, to take Jesus to this world. Thank you so much for your son and our savior. We pray in his name and through him, amen. God is using your sacrifice, your generosity to make a real difference. I'm always amazed, I am always amazed at the generosity of this congregation. Whatever the need is, this congregation steps up. And I'm so thankful to be a part of a church family like that. Jesus is looking at you as you stand at this intersection and he's saying, come follow me. And that means you have to consider some things that are behind you as you consider the path in front of you. I think I've mentioned this before, but back in college one summer, I went on a mission trip to Singapore and Malaysia. It was quite an experience, but I'll never forget We had a camp for teenagers one week while we were there. I still have a picture in one of my Bibles of our group at that camp. (laughs) That photo is over 30 years old. Every once in a while, I'll take it out just to remember that trip, remember those kids, remember what God did in my life and hopefully through our lives while we went. But there was a young lady one day at camp who decided to be baptized. She was ready to surrender her life to Christ and we all knew what that meant for her. Her family was Buddhist. And they did not look upon her decision as something that they approved of. In fact, they were not happy at all. And there was a very good chance that she would be rejected by her family. And she knew that. And we talked to her about that. Do you understand what this means? She said, absolutely. That's what I'm going to do. And that's what she did. I don't know what happened with her. We had to leave. I, I, I don't know. That was back then before you had the internet and Facebook and all that stuff. But it reminds me of a story, very similar story, that an author wrote in a book. He too was a missionary in East Malaysia. And he said one day at the end of the worship service, a young lady came forward to be baptized. And so they were getting ready to take her confession and baptize her. And this guy said he looked at the back of the room and he saw some worn out luggage back there. And he thought, well, that's odd. Why is that luggage here? Who does that belong to? And he began to ask around, hey, what's the deal with the suitcases? Who does that belong to? And someone said, well, that's her luggage. Those suitcases belong to her. You see, her father told her if she was going to be baptized to be a Christian, then she could never, never come home. So she packed her bags. (laughs) She packed her bags because she knew what that decision meant for her. When Jesus says to you, come and follow me, and it's not just the day you're baptized, it's each and every day that your feet hit the floor. When he says, come and follow me, you have to consider what's behind you and what he's asking you to give up, but you also have to consider what's in front of you and the mission he's calling you to. This morning, he extends that invitation to you, come and follow me. What does that mean for you? For some of you, it is to give your life, to surrender your life, to be baptized into Christ. Don't delay. 
Let's make that happen today. For some of you, it means having a difficult conversation, spending time in prayer, making some changes in your life. Whatever it is, have the courage and the faith to do it. If we can help you, we want to. Let us encourage you. Let us pray for you. A couple of our shepherds and their wives will be in the parlor, a room right behind me. You can go there, and they'll encourage you and pray for you. Or you can come down to the front today, and we'd be happy to do that as a congregation, as a church family. If there's something we can do, we invite you to come as we stand together and sing.